evening, beautiful people. We are here for five questions with Brandon Rerick in the house, a phenomenal strength coach with tons of knowledge to bring to us. So Brendan is one of the founders of the CFSC, which is a certification that I actually got. I love, I knew about it before I got it. I heard good things, highly recommend getting it, especially if you're a new physical therapist, really helps you how to lift. Also kind of recommend it if you are a parent who wants to be a little bit more movement-minded and involved in the athletics. Someone who wants to take the training to the next level. Very fond of it, think it's great. Really glad to have him here. He was the one who actually tested me out on it. So I have a special place in my heart for him. So I'm glad that we're gonna get to learn from him. Brendan, tell us a little bit more about yourself. Well, first, thank you for the intro and for having me on, Stephen. Uh, my intro, oh, geez, this is a, I don't want to go too many years back, but uh, I worked at Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning for eight years, which some people would call the mecca of functional strength and conditioning. So the bodybuilding era with Arnold and all that was on the West Coast and the East Coast people we'll say that is now the functional training era with kettlebells and barbells and corrective exercise and functional movement screens and all the like. Uh, so I, I grew up there, I guess. I went to UMass Amherst, got my ex kinesiology degree there, uh, wanted to work with professional athletes when I was young. That's what everyone when they're young wants to do is work with the pros, work with the Olympians. Uh, and I, I actually went to school to be an engineer and found out that engineering was not what I wanted to do uh, or build bridges and all and build buildings. I wanted to be in strength and conditioning and I wanted to, I wanted to be in the NFL, to be honest. And when I realized I wasn't going to make the NFL, one of the best ways you could win a Super Bowl ring is become a strength coach. So that's what I did. Uh, that took me to Mike Boyle strength and conditioning while I was there. I, the mobility training or the mobility uh like thing that was really really big it was probably big five six seven years ago when foam rolling became really important uh people really got into stretching mobility work so now there's lots of courses that involve those things and i went to massage school because at the time i was already working 60 70 hours a week uh, personal training strength coaching and i didn't want to go back to school uh necessarily but I still wanted to be able to put my hands on people. So I don't tell anyone I'm a physical therapist. I'm not a chiropractor. I can do massage and then I can train you. Um, so I, I live in two worlds. I combine the worlds, but I also kind of, I know what my limits are uh, and where I cannot diagnose. Uh, I can see how you move. I can apply a manual technique and then train you uh, to see, improve that movement. Uh, so then I, that was this company here, which is named Movement as Medicine. Uh, and then when I was also during that time, Coach Boyle, uh, who is my mentor and the owner of Mike Boyle Strength and Conditioning and considered one of the founding strength coaches or founding fathers, I guess, of strength coaching in general. He was the first, I believe, NHL strength coach for the Boston Bruins. He worked for BU. He's been the Boston Red Sox strength coach, and he's owned his gym for 26 years, um, which is pretty rare that a gym makes it for 26, 26 years. Um, 
And lots of people had asked him to create a certification, which that's what you started with and you mentioned, Steve. The certification is a, it is his system that he uses at Mike Boyle's Training and Conditioning that has been curated over the last 30 years. And me and another strength coach, Kevin Carr, helped him kind of implement that and bring it to the masses. And we go around and teach it all over the place. It's the, the difference between a regular certification and what we do is that for a regular certification, as a trainer, you can just go to any testing center, read the book and answer 30 to 40 questions. And now you're a certified personal trainer. And we saw that as a problem. So for our course, you, you take the quiz and read all the material and do all the lectures beforehand, which is about 30, 20 to 30 hours of lecture material and course material. Then you take the online exam then you have to come to an eight to 10 hour full day course where you experience demo coach and teach all of these exercises. And then you are tested on your ability to coach and teach another human being, which coaching is. So we have a live practical component to our course. Um, so those are my big three big things. I, I grew up at Mike Boyles, which is where I, I set my platform. Uh, I own Movement as Medicine, which is a movement therapy company, you could say. But we, again, know what our boundaries are and, and what our scope of practice is. Uh, and then I own and run Certified Functional Strength Coach with Coach Boyle. And we, we train the trainers, I guess. And we've certified almost 7,000 people now over the last – the company's been around for almost five years. So that's it. That's me. I there's tons more, but we'll, we'll leave it there. No, that's great. And it's nice to hear. I know a few people that are LMTs and strength coaches. And it, it brings you almost to the fact of when I get asked people who are saying, like, I'm thinking about going to physical therapy school. Mm-hmm. I, I almost always put that on their radar, that that's a possibility, that if you want to try and unlock the possibilities of the neuromyofascial system, you don't necessarily need to have the quote unquote like diagnostic ability or signs and symptoms are consistent with that a physical therapist has. You can gain entry through that through being an LMT, through being an acupuncturist, PTA. There are certain ways that you can gain that. And I think anyone who looks at it to learn a little bit more about the neuromyofascial system and also just gain a deeper understanding of anatomy because everything breaks down to anatomy and physiology. Like why are you doing what you're doing? Will always at its most building blocks be rooted in anatomy or structure and physiology function. There really is no other vocabulary or currency that we would ever use to answer that question. So much respect. I think you did the right thing and I think it's really cool. So let's move into our first question of five questions. So, Brent, what is the best rep <laughs> to get fit? I, lo- I love this. I love the – it's like a, just a softball that I can knock out of the park here. Uh, the park. So I can do this one of two ways. I can bring up these slides or I can just talk to them out loud. What do you think? I would bring up a couple slides but pretend I'm not even there. Got it. So the first slide, our questions here. Let me make sure we're going. Ah, there we go give everyone a little context here. I've actually done a lot of 
fitness myth busting webinar webinars and seminars for the masses for the for corporate companies corporate wellness uh, and so i've taken top 10 top 15 things that i get asked as a strength coach from my average gym goer or my, my clients my athletes and they all one of the big questions is what reps scheme should i do for x y and z so if we're going to take a broad general overview of this right we're the best rep scheme for building muscle, losing weight, changing a habit, or learning something new is, new is three by 52, in that you do it three times a week for 52 weeks. And actually, my, my good friend, who's a, a strength coach, Charlie Reed, uh, that's one of his favorite things to say, and that's who I got that from. But really, it's it's consistency is will always trump the perfect number of reps or these reps do this, this rep will get these muscles that if you are consistent for 52 weeks a, or a year, you will have, you will make great drastic changes. So that's my number one answer is that if you do it consistently, you're probably going to do pretty well in whatever it is or reach those goals, whatever those may be. Now, if I'm going to go the micro answer, which is okay, what exactly are the reps then, Brendan? Because yes, there's this micro general overview, very philosophical, but this is what we know works the best for, well, one, we don't do anything under three reps because the risk is not worth the reward for us. So whenever, whenever you go under three reps, it now becomes a how much I can do and not how well I can do it. So for me, anything under three reps scares me unless you are doing a powerlifting competition or you are going to the Olympics to Olympic lift. So if you're in the Olympics or you're a powerlifter, then you have to go under three reps. I can tell you right now, I have less than 1% of the people I've ever trained in my life and 1% of the people who have ever come to a CFSC who make their living off of powerlifters and Olympic lifters. So you do not need to go under three reps, in my opinion. Uh, the, if you stick between three and eight reps, that's going to be your strength training. This, if we're going to, and you, Stephen, you and I have talked about this over the last few phone calls, is now if I want to say, okay, three to eight reps is going to be my strength training and a little bit of muscle gain, but mostly purely strength, that would mean that my conditioning anything that's under 20 seconds is going to be more of my anaerobic system, more of my how much blood can I pump out type stuff? How fast can I go? Then we have our eight to 12 rep range, which is it everyone knows is the bodybuilding range, which is how to gain muscle mass or hypertrophy is the fancy word for conditioning. That would be things that time under tension last 20 to 60 seconds. So I also want to think of this in the terms of not just strength training and lifting weights, but also in conditioning as well. So conditioning would be 26 seconds. For me too, uh, what we call our accumulation phase of training, it's also where you learn the best. So you don't, if you only do three to five reps of something, you don't have as many snapshots to learn how to squat, to learn how to deadlift, to learn how to clean. So it's also a learning or motor control is another word for learning that we want to stick between because we don't want fatigue. 
but we want to learn and we want to have enough reps to learn. Uh, finally is endurance. And endurance for me is anything over 12 reps or conditioning that lasts over 60 seconds. So you're going to be dipping into that aerobic bucket that you have. Uh, and endurance can be, right, it, was, it could be anything, it could be 12 reps, it could be 30 reps, it could be 50 reps. Like at some point though, it becomes mostly about fatigue and less about muscle strength, learning and um, pure power or speed. I should actually have put power in there in that three to five or three to eight reps. Um, and we, I'll add that in my slides later, but so long story short, three by 52 is the number one way to get good at anything. And then after that, we have, uh, we don't want to go under three reps because of the risk unless you, that you are competing in something that requires one rep maxes. Um, you because you can calculate your run one rep max with knowing how many it's called the Prilipin chart. You can take three reps of 150 pounds, and that will tell you that your one rep max is like 165 to 170. So they have a bunch of charts that can do those calculations for you, and they're pretty accurate. Then you have three to five or three to eight reps, which is your strength training, pure strength and power training. Then you have eight to 12 reps, which is your, your bodybuilding, your Arnold Schwarzeneggers, and then 12 reps or more is going to be endurance, or you could also throw motor control and um, corrective exercise in there. Um, but at some point, the problem with that being is if I have an hour to train you, or you have an hour to train, do you want to do calf raises for 150 reps for eight minutes of your workout? Probably not. So logistically, it doesn't make sense to do a lot of exercises that are over 20 reps in a row. Um, so that, that's my answer for, for your first question, Steve. Yeah, no, that's perfect. And that's interesting. The time under tension is something that I think we're hearing a lot about. Um, I think also something that's been discussed a little bit more is that burn. Um, feeling that burn, which um, for anyone who's not too familiar with in general, that's typically um, an accumulation of hydrogen ions. Think of that be as being acidic and lactate. Those are kind of the two byproducts of the energy system that would give you that burn. And having that burn present is a good thing, but having that burn around for a little too long could end up actually being detrimental to hypertrophy or muscle growth which is what a lot of people are looking for. On the total flip side with aging, that lactate is actually really helpful for your brain. It does a good job of crossing that blood-brain barrier. So if you wanna live a nice long life, it's not a bad idea to get that burn going. Again, maybe not have it hang out for too long, but actually get that burn because that can actually end up helping you with some stem cell proliferation and other neurological functions that tend to have trouble with aging where lactate can be almost prophylactic. So there's a lot of different ways. Like we know that exercise is obviously good. The three times a week for 52 weeks is exactly right. Um, we know that there are a lot of benefits to exercise and it's interesting as people are now looking into aging as the actual life expectancy of men in general is decreasing. There's more money being thrown at research and aging. And with that, we're seeing even more what we already knew, which is the benefits of exercise. So to take us to our next question, 
I will say, what should I do for exercise? Weights, run, yoga? I get asked this question all the time. I'm interested to hear your answer. Okay, so I actually made a video for this a while ago. I can put the video in there later, but I just took the slide out of the video. So my, my big thing, well, recently there's been this big thing that we do not tell kids to specialize in sports anymore, right? James Andrews, the famous surgeon, said that the worst thing that you can do is have a kid only play baseball, only play basketball. They, they play it year-round. The good thing about stuff like football is football is only one season a year in the fall. Like You can't play football year-round, but you can play soccer year-round. You can play baseball year-round. You can play basketball year-round. And we're, a lot of kids are getting overuse injuries at 13, 14, 15 years old. And maybe a silver lining of COVID is that a lot of these kids now are taking a break, which is actually good for a lot of these kids to not have to be participating all year round. And so I'm going to make the same case that adults should not specialize in sport. The number one reason why I see people come to me for massage is because well, I run six or seven days a week, but I don't do anything else. I only run because I love running. Okay, I, that's amazing. That's great. I love that you do that every day that you get something in. But if you want to be able to do that for a long time, you're going to have to do other things as well. Yogi's the same thing. I do yoga six or seven days a week. That's awesome. That's great. But you got injured picking something up because all you do is the stretch and breath work and you don't do enough of the strength stuff. And on the, on the other end of this, I have lots of people that come in that are like, yeah, I've been barbell lifting for the last six months, five days a week, barbell only. Like, and they're on the other end of the spectrum where they like, they don't do any soft tissue work. They don't do any movement stuff. They do no breath work other than holding their breath to lift up heavy things. So people, and here's the thing is people love to do their stuff that they're good at. So if you're a big, strong guy or gal, you're going to want to lift things. If you are a hypermobile guy or gal, you're going to like yoga, right? So my big thing is, is like that we shouldn't specialize either. If you're a good runner, you're going to love to run. Like, so I am going to encourage everybody that they do something for 30 minutes or more a day. So the World Health Organization says that you should get, if you want longevity, so you were just speaking to living longer, longevity would be 30 minutes a day. So about 180 minutes per week to 270, 80 minutes or 270 minutes of vigorous activity per week. And I consider fitness and exercise something that is planned, not something that just like it happened, like I went out for a walk or whatnot, like it's a planned exercise. So I, I categorize these, I, I love buckets. My buckets are build, so that's muscle building and strength, play, so that's get outside and enjoy yourself or something that involves competition, whether that's competition with yourself or competition with someone else, and then move. And the things I put in the movement bucket are your yoga, Pilates, martial arts, dance where you're exploring end ranges of movement, uh, maybe to music, maybe to that's something that's more artsy that involves breath, that involves uh, very mindful movement, but it's not going to involve external load other than yourself. And I suggest people do that two to three times a week. 
you have a movement practice. I don't care what it is as long as you're you're moving your body and it's end ranges and expressing that movement in a way that you like. And there's so many different ways you can do that. Then build. So strength train, barbells, kettlebells, boot camps, dumbbells, bar, body weight exercises, whatever. Again, your the focus is building and maintaining strength and power. So as you age over the age of 50, every 10 years, you lose 17% of your power and 10% of your strength. So you lose power twice as fast as you lose strength over the age of 50. Number one way to die after the age of 65 is to fall. So I would say from a longevity standpoint, strength is most important because your cardiovascular system actually improves as you age over time. Not to say that cardiovascular, the cardiovascular system is not important, but keep staying strong for longevity is, uh, I believe it was Dan John or Brett Jones used the uh, analogy of strength is the glass. Everything else goes into the glass. So the str your strength holds everything and then cardio goes in there, swimming goes in there, dance goes in there, yoga goes in there. So I like that analogy. Um, and then play is my last one. So play, play looks different for everyone. For me, it's hiking. Hiking is for me play. It's, it falls in the movement bucket as well, but you get outside, you get into nature, you're, you're enjoying the view, you're enjoying the company of other people, biking, you go to the playground with your kids. I mean, some of my best workouts are playground, going to the playground with my five-year-old and running up the slide and playing hide and seek. Uh, sports, if you if you're you can find a league to jump in. Swimming, there's a bunch of different ways to play as well. So in a perfect world, you would do 30 minutes a day of each one of those buckets. And say you want you liked yoga a lot, you did yoga four days a week, strength trained for two, and then you went for a hike one day a week you'd be a much more well-rounded individual from a longevity standpoint, and you would be able to run, do yoga, and lift weights more often for a longer time, and you would probably see your PT, chiro, massage therapist, doctor less. Not everybody. We can't throw everyone in this bucket. There are people who seem to have steel rods for bones that never, ever get hurt, right? But they're the N of one. They're always like, well, I never get sick, so I don't need that. Or I never get hurt when I run, so I don't need to do those things until they do. And I would argue that most people do not fall into that I never get injured bucket or I can do whatever the hell I want. Uh, or I eat, right? There's people who eat whatever they want and they have a six pack. Like that is not 99% of us. But everyone looks at that person and, thinks like, oh, well, they get to do it, so it must work for me. But really, we need to be well-rounded. And again, we tell our kids that they shouldn't specialize in sport. I'm going to make the same argument for adults as we shouldn't be specializing in only lifting weights, only running, only doing yoga. I only do Pilates. I only go for walks. Um, those are all amazing things, but we should be doing more of each. And just you don't have to be good at it. You just got to do a little bit of each bucket. And then the things that you are good at, then you should have at it. And that's what you do for your main focus. But you got to do the other things to support it. Yeah, and that's actually the principle of do whatever you're worst at. 
I, I know that that seems so um, out of fashion once you reach a certain age, like we're adults and we're supposed to be good at things, but the bodybuilder who can barely wipe his ass should be in the yoga class. The right. yogi that can put her heels to touch the back of her head should be doing strength training, but we like to do things. Even as we get adults, we're still insecure. We like to do things that make us feel good about ourselves, but abandoning all that, and like you said, having some good variety is really important to build a robust human being. You can't divorce your strength from your health. And as you get older, that becomes even more and more important and something that gets people Older individuals tend to not do so well with power work. As you mentioned, that's something that they lose. But to strip everything else down, and we're not even talking about uh, whether you're good at yoga or whether you're good at strength training, you can bench, you can deadlift well. The elder population that is bad at exerting power, which is being able to exert energy, we'll say quickly, right? they are the ones that need to train it so bad. If everyone just stayed in their silos of what they are good at, we'll end up having more problems instead of less. And I like, I get asked that question a lot too, which is like, people ask me what I do. I do yoga, I do kettlebells, I surf, I ride my bike, I run, and I go outside. If you had to ask me in any given week, I'm trying to hit all six of those every single week in some capacity to get that World Health Organization numbers that you're talking about. To give one more point of kind of, um, I think it's overlooked. People see those and they're like, oh, World Health Organization says 22 to 44 minutes of moderate to vigorous. And if you end up doing vigorous, then it's almost like you don't have to do quite as much. It's almost like right. a, a two point system. I think people lose in there what moderate is and what vigorous is. Moderate is I can talk, but I couldn't sing to you. And vigorous is I can say a word or two, but I can't say full sentences. Keep that in mind. I get people like, yeah, I went out for a walk for 30 minutes, got that World Health Organization amount of activity. I'm like, you didn't. You probably didn't, unless you were walking up a hill somehow both ways. So yeah. it's an important thing to kind of hit on is like those guidelines are very good when you read the whole sentence, but people are pretty bad about actually getting the whole thing, yeah. which leads me to my next question, talking about activity, is sitting the new smoking? And I'll put on that, is there such thing as a perfect posture, Brendan? Great question. <laughs> I love these. This is great. Um, so for me, the, the big question I get a lot is like, should I buy a standing desk? And especially in the corporate world, by the way, we had a good question from Michael. Do we want to answer that later? We or will talk? answer that later. And okay. everyone... Hit us with all your questions while we're talking. I'm yeah. monitoring that so that I leave enough time for us to answer everything. But please don't hold back. That's what we're here for. Hold on. I added my own question to nice. answer one of your questions uh, later on. So I just something so I remember to go back to it. Beautiful. Um, so I get the question all the time. Should I have? Should I buy a standing desk? Or standing desk is better than than sitting down all the time. So my answer is that there, well, one, you mentioned it already. There's no such thing as a perfect posture. And if you've ever stood all day long, what hurts when you stand all day long? My heels hurt. My feet hurt. Yeah. Like my heels hurt. My heels hurt. My feet hurt. He's saying heels and feet is the right answer. Yeah, it is. And my back hurts. 
Yes. By, by six to seven hours of standing, now my back hurts. So to say that standing all day long is better than sitting all day long would be incorrect because it presents its own problems. And is there perfect posture? I mean, I you could say there is an optimal posture, but I think we have you need more context. So if I'm rowing, there's a perfect posture for rowing. If I'm standing, there's a specific posture that is more optimal. If I'm sitting, there's a posture that is more optimal for sitting. If I'm sitting cross-legged, there's an optimal position. If I'm throwing a baseball, posture. So really, posture is dynamic. Posture is always changing. And the, the problem isn't that certain postures are bad. The problem is, is that if you stay in the same posture for too long. So moving is the issue, not posture, in my opinion. Now, whatever you do for movement will also dictate what your posture looks like. But the if somebody wants to improve their posture, it's get up and move more. Um, and my big my big thing lately that they've been talking a lot about is text neck. Mm-hmm. That if you text too much, that your neck and your posture is going to be messed up. That if you sit too much, you're go- you are at risk, just as like if you were a smoker, which they've proven over the last two years that that is not true. The correlation is not equal. That smokers die way earlier than people who sit more. It's people who don't move enough, um, which is you could collectively put in our uh, obesity problem, our obesity epidemic that we have. Um, right? What came first, chicken or the egg? I don't know. But what we can say is that moving positions every 30 minutes is probably the most beneficial thing you can do for posture, but also for your health. And so some posture tips, some ideas, and I always say that it's like WD-40 for your joints or your organs, right? Getting up and moving every 30 minutes is WD-40 for those joints, for those organs. Change position every 30 minutes, so stay hydrated as well. Uh, We know all muscle tissue is made of water. And when you sit in a certain position, uh, Thomas Myers wrote about this in his book, uh, Anatomy Trains. It's called creep. So if I sit in this position with my arms crossed for that long, your muscle tissues start to adapt and they get matted down. It's almost like squeezing a sponge. So if you think of your muscles as sponges, when you squeeze a sponge, if you sat on that sponge for too long, all the fluid would drain out. And then that muscle tissue starts to get matted down. It starts to deform. It starts to change. Um, I can't remember what Myers calls it. It's something fancy. Uh, But your tissues start to adapt to that position because basically your brain says like, oh, if you're going to always be in this position with your slouch forward and your arms here, like I'm just going to start to lay down bone and tissue so that we can adapt to that. So getting up and moving tells the brain and body like, oh, no, don't worry. I'm still moving. Don't don't lay down tissue there yet. We're not we don't need that Um, walking meetings right now, especially everyone. um, We can all go outside still. You can hop on your phone, do a walking meeting instead. That's one way to get moving wearables. I, I love and hate. I have a love hate relationship with wearables. I love wearables because they make you aware right? They should, they should be called a wearables. Hey, yo. 
you can coin that. I, I invented that. No, I'm kidding. Um, a wearables because they just make you more aware of like, I have an aura ring on right now, which has a little tiny computer. Yeah. You got it as well. Uh, it doesn't, it, it just tells me how well I'm sleeping, how many steps I get, but really over after about three months, yeah, kind of forget about it, right? It made me aware of how I was sleeping and how much I was moving. But if I don't do something about it, the wearable doesn't matter. So it, it made me aware of the situation and, and how many steps I was taking and what my problems or maybe my issues were. But then I have to do something about it to see the change. A lot of people wear the wearables and it just eventually becomes a heart rate monitor. And they stop looking at the steps. They stop looking at the sleep because the after about a month, you're like, oh, yeah, I don't sleep enough. <laughs> oh, yeah, I don't get enough steps in. Um, so the wearables are great for a certain period of time. Are they worth the money? Maybe yes or no. I think most people can, if they take a, like, a real reflection of themselves, they could say, like, no, nah, I don't sleep enough. I sleep six hours a night. No, nah, I don't walk enough. I, I maybe get 5,000 steps a day. So wearables, walking meetings are, are a good idea. Uh, set an alarm on your phone for every hour, get up, move around, stay hydrated. Also, if you drink a lot of water, you have to get up and go to the bathroom a lot. So water's good for a lot of things. It, all our metabolic processes happen in water, your muscles sit in water, uh, but it also makes you get up and move. Uh, so do you need a standing desk? I recommend the desks that move up and down. And I would say set your phone alarm, stand for an hour, sit for an hour, sit on a stability ball for an hour lay on the ground for an hour, sit cross-legged for an hour, just change your position every hour. I don't care what it is. And now that we're all at home, your computer can go anywhere with you. So you can go lay down in bed for an hour and work. You can sit on a couch, right? So, I mean, that good part of work from home is we have more options and more positions we can get in. So there is no perfect posture. Um, in my opinion, there is standing desk is not better than a sit seated desk. It's about moving. Don't worry about text neck. You're not going to die from text neck. You're not going to die from sitting too much. Um, so I just, the fear mongering thing really bugs me personally. I understand that you sometimes have to maybe elaborate or embellish a little bit to get people to change their mindset. But it can go too far where they're like, okay, now I have to stand for 16 hours a day. And that's not good either. I see people who come in for back pain and foot pain from standing too much. Um, so we're, we can sometimes swing the pendulum too far. Yeah, it, it is no better time than right now to really explore as you threw in there towards the end, the laying on your back. So we have a link to Veradesk on our website. We also have a link to a tablet holder that you can lay on your back and use. So walking is something we encourage, standing, sitting, laying on your back. The sky is the limit as you said it. And it's almost interesting how the question and answer for our last question and answer, which was like yoga, Pilates, which one's better, which one? No, no, no one's better. It's being well-rounded posture, position, ergonomics. No, no one is really better. It's being able to move through them and play with them. So 100%. Fourth question, what is health? And I'm going to add into this fitness and also performance. So, All right, let's do it. Uh, so I actually personally, uh, so 
I didn't share this in the beginning, but I had a very personal health scare at the age of 27. I was diagnosed with a rare blood disease, which is an autoimmune disease that eats away your bone marrow. Mm -hmm. So I was considered a cancer patient. And when you're 27, year old, 27 years old and you have something like this happen to you, uh, my definition of what I thought was healthy had to change because I was like probably most of us or even what the dictionary would say is health. And the health, the, the definition of health on, if you type it in Google, is the state of being free from illness or injury or a person's mental or physical conditioning. Now, the problem with that answer is that sometimes shit happens that we cannot control, but there are still ways, in my opinion, that you can be healthy. And I'm going to use air quotes because it's health is based off of what you believe to be healthy and the person, like, are you doing the best you can with what you have? That should be what health is. Um, and I love this definition and actually, right, this is what people think is healthy. Men's health, women's health, right? I have to look like that, I have to dress like that, I have to feel like that in order to be considered healthy. And that's a problem, most especially for anyone under the age of 18. As you get older, you realize this is bullshit, but when you're under the age of 18 and there's social media where everybody exists in a fairyland and uh, Snapchat, Instagram, Facebook, like people think that this is the this is like the mecca like this is what we should look like and it is not true and i would almost guarantee that most of these people aren't healthy physically or mentally right there's a lot of airbrush there, the a lot of people we know as actors um people who reach these upper echelons of of certain industries and stuff have a lot of mental problems famous people have a lot of mental problems <laughs> maybe not physical but um, so it's a well-rounded thing. And this definition, health is not about having a six pack. It is not about eating paleo and it's not even living absence of disease. Health is living optimally given your circumstances, your genetics, your environment, and your financial state. And I love that because we all, right? If you grew up in an environment that wasn't so conducive to being healthy, are you doing the best you can now? The answer is in the moment. Uh, if you don't have a lot of money, you can't go to you can't go to Whole Foods. Like I'm sorry, like people are like, well, you should shop at Whole Foods and only eat organic. Some people can't afford that. But what you can do is do the best you can with your current financial state. Genetically, right? My autoimmune disease was a genetic precursor, right? Environment loads the gun, or sorry, genetics loads the gun. Environment pulls the trigger. So I was predisposed genetically to have an autoimmune disease. My brother has Crohn's as well. Um, so, but the environment pulled the trigger. And like, what am I supposed to do about that? Like now I'm not healthy. Like you, we've got to change the terminology. We've got to change the way that we look at this. And sometimes you can't stop a car accident. If you got in a car accident and something happened to you, that's the circumstance. Like you now have to live optimally based off of what happened to you or what happened to your client, right? Something happens to your client, uh, you now have to help them live optimally, regardless if they're handicapped, regardless if they can 
afford it anymore, right? Regardless of the environment that they're they're stuck in, right? They might not be able to get out of it. And genetically, you were born with it, right? Some people are born with uh, without a without an arm. Some people are born with a, their foot was turned uh, completely around. They're they whatever. There's so many different things. Are you living based off of the best you can? Not worrying about like paleo is not healthy. Uh, living absence of disease is not considered actually is to me healthy. Six packs don't make you healthy. Um, what makes you healthy is living optimally based off of these four items. Uh, and so actually I'll stop there with that and let you, because there's more, I, I'll answer fitness and performance after that. Sure. Um, but yeah, my, so before 27, before I was sick, that my definition was like six pack, you got to lift weights. Uh, you got to be free of disease. Like you can't have a disease and be healthy. Like, uh, but you can. Uh, and and I, it took something bad that, like that to happen to me in order for me to change my perspective, which helped me a lot with my clients because I've never had a client. Not I shouldn't say never, but most of my clients do not come in uh, ready to lift heavy things and don't have any injuries and don't have any past uh, problems or currently are taking medications or um, stuff like that. So, yeah. So our eight foundations of health, and if you've checked them out, um, anyone who's here, if not, but we go sleep, stress, exercise, ergonomics, hydration, diet and digestion, breathing and connection. Brendan, what would you throw in there? Like, give me two more. What, what comes to your head off that? Um, Nature. Connect, so our connection is okay. self, community, and nature. I like that you said something that we have. Go for nature. one more. Uh, I would say I would then go back to financial state. Oh, cool. Um, and then I would add in either circumstances or environment. Yeah. Um, because those are things that are not what happened to you is not controllable, but how you respond and how you react and what you do now is in, under your control. Um, yeah. But they, I, they are very two important considerations that people need to make before they make, uh, myself included, make recommendations, right? Mm -hmm. Like I can recommend everyone should do a sauna every day. Not everyone has access to a sauna. Not everyone can afford a sauna. Not everyone likes to sit in heat for that long. And you could have a circumstance that is bad for going into hot environments where you could pass out and die, right? So it's a blanket statement to say, look, all saunas are good. Everyone should sauna. If you don't sauna, you're a loser. Like I could make that blanket statement and people do. And that's my problem. Like uh, is that you, they don't consider these environmental factors. And I get it. We need those people because they, they swing the pendulum one way, but personally I like to, I'm all about moderation, including moderation. I like to be somewhere in the middle personally. I like that. So tell me a little more about fitness and performance. Then. So fitness and performance. Now these are uh, really tough definitions sometimes because I'll come back to these slides later. Um, so fitness for me, in, if we're going to make this a very simple definition, fitness is just the ability to complete a task. So again, for someone who's in their 80s, going to their mailbox 
and going for a walk and getting a coffee or going to the coffee shop and hanging out with their friends if you're 80 years old, that's fitness to them. So their ability to complete that task, right? If I play in the NFL, my task is much different. Mm -hmm. So now if I want to play in the NFL and I want to be good at playing in the NFL, now performance would say, how do you perform that task optimally? Now, if I want to go and get the mail at my mailbox, but it takes me a half an hour and I'm 80 years old and I have to get my walker, I have to get my cane, uh, I can't drive because I physically can't. Um, you got to the coffee shop, you got to your mailbox, but you didn't do it optimally. Mm -hmm. So the difference is, is like, I got it, I did it. Like you could say that person is fit, but they might not have gotten there in the easiest way that they could if they had done something that allows them to do it optimally. So that's like in the context, I want to address it in the context of life and sport. Mm -hmm. Now I want to address it in the context of being in the gym. So in the gym, my, our warm-ups, the warm-ups that we do, myself personally, and with the CFSC course that we spoke about, uh, we start with soft tissue work. We start with mobility or then go to mobility. So we work on our end ranges. And then we do stability pattern warm-ups correctives. Now, the big thing about all of these items is that they never made anybody fit. Mm. Right? So if I was to say somebody was fit in the gym, uh, if you foam rolled for 10 minutes and then stretched for 10 minutes and then did some body weight and breathing exercises, you are not fit to go running. You are not fit to go play with your kid in the playground. You are not fit to go play a sport. Um, so like those things are all important and they all support the ability to do those things more often. But fitness is to me, looks like this. It's can you farm or carry your body weight? Can you hang for a minute? Can you deadlift a big kettlebell? Can you kettlebell swing, push up, chin up, row, goblet squat, TGU, lateral lunge, and then can you can you half kneel press something? Mm -hmm. And I use body weight as my standards, but if you wanted to say you were fit in the gym or fit this if somebody came in and they were able to do all of these items, I would say that person is fit to do whatever the hell they want. <laughs> you want to go for a hike next weekend. You want to go paddle boarding. You want to go run a half marathon. Like you're going to have to train for the half marathon, but your body is prepared for the pounding of running mm -hmm. that's going to happen to train for said marathon. So if you could do most of these things, I would consider you fit in my gym or working with me. And when people ask like, what should I be able to do? what do I need to be able to do to, to be more fit? Like these are the items I give them. And it's all based off of body weight because it's based off of the individual. Um, and if it should be somebody who's trying to lose weight, there's a caveat to this. If you're 200, if you're 300 pounds and you want to be 200 pounds, I use 200 pounds as your working number mm, because nice. it would be mean of me to say you have to squat half your body weight if you're 300 pounds but you're trying to get down to 200. Now, if you're a 300 pound NFL lineman, then I would expect you to be able to do half your body weight. Right. Um, so there's, there's a little caveat there if you're trying to lose weight. And then for me, performance is this next goal. So you don't get to performance 
unless you've mastered what I would call the foundations, then you get to move to performance, which is now we're pursuing heavier weights and moving weights faster. But again, not everybody needs to get here. So the context, right? The context is sport. If you're a high school or college athlete, you should be able to do these things. If you are somebody who just wants to be healthy and look good naked and feel good about yourself and be able to do all the things in life you want to do, I would say it's these items here. But remember, these items never made anybody run really fast, jump really high, or lift heavy things, or be really good at said sport or yeah. run really far. Like these things are important for maintenance and to be able to do them consistently, but they won't make you fast and they won't make you fit and they won't make you perform well. Um, college or sorry, we use trap bar, double body weight. I want to see that you can do a double body weight trap bar deadlift for five. Notice everything's for five reps or more. For that reason, I said earlier, we don't do anything under three reps because as soon as you go for three reps, it turns into a one rep max where people are trying to struggle through the lift, and that's not what we want. Uh, then we go hang clean, chin up, bench press, and rear foot elevated split squat or Bulgarian split squat for one and a quarter to one and a half times your body weight for five. So that means if you are a 200-pound male college hockey player, you'd trap bar 400 for five, you'd hang clean 250 to 300 pounds for five, you do your chin up with your body weight plus 50 or 100 pounds. You mm -hmm. bench press 250 to 300 for five, and you'd rear foot elevated split squat 250 to 300. If you could do that as a college or high school athlete, uh, you would be ready for whatever sport you wanted to play. And if you were bad at your sport, it wasn't because you were bad in the gym. It was because you were bad at your sport. And you need a, either a better coach or you need to practice more or you need better technique or you were not genetically, right? We know genetically it's better to be seven feet tall in the NBA than it is to be five foot eight. Uh, so there's, right, there's just so much context that goes into, us, into this. But if I'm going to put parameters or guardrails, it's this is what health is, this is what fitness is, and this is what performance is, and this is how I gauge all of these things. And remember, there's macro and micro so there's macro that's like general philosophy like healthy people do stuff 30 minutes six seven times a week they're well-rounded um and they're they're healthy as they can be based off of what they have financially circumstances environment and genetics then there's this other piece that's like this is what in the gym we call fitness and then what we would call performance because we need to put some sort of tangible numbers on it so people know what they can expect, where they want to go, what should I shoot for. Um, and also normative data helps us say like, well, people who are really good at running and run fast generally are able to do these exercises as well. And it seems that you don't, you are not able to do this with 50% of your body weight, or you're not be able to jump this height, that might be is why you're not running as fast. So we can improve your, say your marathon time by improving your ability to jump higher and lift heavier. Um, so that's my, uh, my, my health, fitness and performance answer. I like it. And, that, and I like 
obviously I like when there's parallels, like whenever you and I are saying the same thing without discussing before, it's always nice. It's, it's nice that almost you have, you guys have your considerations, which is kind of like ours is more of an assessment. Yours is more just kind of like everybody should be doing these. Like we have our eight foundations of movement on top. We have our eight foundations of exercise and our performance on top of that. And it's nice to have the fact that it's all working towards being able to go hard. Everyone should go hard. If you can go hard, you should go hard, but you have to earn that right. And I think that's where a lot of people get lost. They, they, I think understand, or maybe they don't know that if you have the ability to go hard, it makes everything else easier. That post-activation potential is really important. So if you can go ham, then everything else, sitting at your desk is easier, bending over is easier, playing with your kids is easier, all that. But to go hard, you have to earn that right. And that's in the eight foundations of movement for us and the eight foundations of exercise to then work your way up. So it's nice. It's not like it would be any surprise that we're all speaking the same language, but it is nice when it really looks like we're all driving to the same place. We just want people to maximize their potential, whatever they might be, right. as safely as possible with as low risk and as high reward. Uh-huh. So. Let's talk about supplements. Last one. Exciting supplements. Yes. So the, the big question I always get is like, what? I mean, I actually, I got an email today from somebody. Uh, she was asking me, what supplements should I take? Well, my first three questions are, I want to say maybe I went. <laughs> I like that. There we go. So my first three questions are, how many days a week do you train? How many hours of sleep do you get per night? How well do you eat a percentage? Mm-hmm. Or what do you eat? Maybe just give me a day, give me a daily timeline or write down for the next three days. I want you to food journal. And then do you get outside for 10 minutes every day? And most of the time, the answer is no to all four of them, actually. Mm-hmm. Uh, and for me, like there's nothing to supplement if you don't have the foundations and the basics down. So I will go back here for a second. For me, the number one supplement in the entire world is sleep. If you don't get sleep, it is where everything good that could possibly happen happens. And if you get less than seven hours a night, we, I mean, everyone likes to say, I don't need more than six hours. It is not true. There, I think it's less than four to six of the pop. 6% yeah, of the population, exactly like 5% of people, 5% of people, everyone else actually, yes, can actually live a normal life on less than seven hours of sleep a night. There's a wonderful book by Matthew Walker called why do we sleep? <clears throat> I recommend everybody read that. It's probably the best well researched, but also um, well written for just the average person. It's not written for uh, scientists or for coaches only. It's written for everybody, which is what I liked about it. Um, that if you could pick a supplement, it would be sleep. Yeah. You could take all the stuff in the world that you want to take, all the supplements you want to take, but if you're not sleeping enough, the supplements don't honestly matter. Um, and then my second one is get outside in nature, do something outdoors, get the sun. And we know, I mean, Vitamin D has made a huge um, uproar with the whole COVID thing. Like that, I don't know if the studies were true, but they were saying that vitamin D and all that. Basically, getting outside keeps you healthier, and we know this. 
Um, and we all intuitively know it as well. We don't even need studies to do that. We all feel better when we get sun and we go out in nature and we breathe fresh air. Um, there's something that they called natural killer cells that are in dirt and air when you go for a hike in nature. Um, there's, they did a ton of research in Japan and that's why Japan has so many, uh, what are they called? The gardens, uh, Japanese mm -hmm. gardens is that they found that the more gardens they had and the more that people were breathing in the stuff from plants and flowers and dirt that the healthier people were. And that's why they started putting like little gardens in hospitals and because every, right. The, they've proven that in a hospital, if they put, if there's nature outside your window in the hospital room, you recover two days faster or something like that. You I shouldn't say days. I should say you recover faster. Even if they put a picture of nature in the room, you recover faster than you would if it was just a blank wall or you were looking at a building on the other side. Um, so nature's my second one. But if you don't train hard enough, there's like, there's, there's no supplements. You, you don't have anything to recover from. If you don't sleep enough, you're not getting true recovery. If you don't eat well, but people love this probiotic stuff now. I'm like, if you drink 10 beers and eat, right? If you eat a toaster strudel and a Pop-Tart for breakfast every day, probiotics do not matter. Your gut health is awful. You need to eat well first. So the number one thing for gut health is eating well most of the time. And the second best thing they've proven for gut health is exercising enough. Yeah. Yeah. So if you don't, eat well and exercise enough, probiotics will not help you at all other than your wallet will be empty. Yeah. Um, and then get outside for 10 minutes. So then maybe, right, if we're talking a pyramid here at the pinnacle of the pyramid, if you have all of these things under control, maybe you take whey protein, maybe you take a multivitamin, maybe you take turmeric, vitamin D, fish oils, or creatine. Those I personally, I have seen, and I love precision nutrition stuff, um, personally, they have a great article with all of these. They they suggest a few more. These, to me, have seemed to have the most research behind them um, from my understanding and all my years of taking lots of supplements myself. I took them all between the ages of 18 and 25. I took everything, right? I took C4 uh, or No Explode. I took... Uh, I, I forgot. Was yeah. Animal. But, oh my god! I drank three, four protein shakes a day. Like I, I took multivitamins. Um, I took everything. I guess because that's what men's health and women's health said that I should do. <laughs> uh, because a lot of people make a lot of money off of it. Um, do you want to add anything before I go to my, my next? No, slide? Just, yeah. <laughs> Once again, it's beautiful when it all comes together. If you want to, we have a podcast linked to uh, Walker on there. So if you can't read the whole book, like you can go on our website and see Perfect. some of the podcasts. And actually the research you were talking about in the hospitals is under our connection to nature portion on our website as well. Um, and and just to kind of like, when this all started with COVID-19, it's still relevant. Who I taught with a guy named Peter DeQuino, we were having a conversation prepping for the course. And he was like, I'm going to recommend these supplements, but what blows out all of these supplements for COVID-19 is good sleep. And that was before some of the nature had come out. But again, that nature to the microbiome, you know, vitamin D to the microbiome, uh -huh. exercise to the microbiome, like all those things that link to your microbiome. And when I say microbiome, I'm talking about the viruses, parasites, 
fungus, protozoa that live within inside of your body. And when I'm speaking out in that context, I'm primarily talking about where it is in the small intestines in your gut. So just to give anyone context and we're throwing around these terms, I want you to understand, but yes, exercise, highly important to your microbiota, but getting enough sunlight, very important exercise, all of it really does end up playing into each other with nature to make for this, like, I, when I try and create a hierarchy in my mind and to go back onto what you were kind of talking about, um, I think mental health is really important. I think the art of all right is what I'm kind of coining is like, no matter what's going on, if I can just be okay with it and all right with it, I think that that is a gift. Um, and something that, that, should be worked too early on in the hierarchy of your eight foundations of health. But it gets really kind of dirty after that with which is more important because they feed onto each other so much. Your gut and your exercise are linked. Your exercise and your stress are linked. Your wow. mental health and your stress is linked. Your exercise or your ergonomics end up affecting your pain. Your pain therefore can affect your exercise. So they're linked and it then affects your stress. And all of these things that we kind of are like almost always trying to um, find like the hierarchy so that people know where to start. And I'm not saying I actually do have a great answer for this. I'm actually just saying that I understand the challenge with that. And I would just say, pick whichever one resonates with you mm -hmm. at that moment at that time and go with it and take a walk with it. Um, because it is, you can spend a lot of time analyzing where I should go next on our eight foundations of health for us. And however you want to put it, everybody's, we all talk about the same stuff. That's just yeah. how we quantify it, but just take a step, whichever one resonates with you, give that a shot, get it to a place where you're comfortable with it and then move on to the next thing. Yeah. I call it the goal. Well, I think it was Alan Cosgrove who wrote an article once called The Goal Snowball. Mm -hmm. What gets the snowball rolling down the hill? So for me personally, it's sleep. If mm -hmm. I sleep seven or more hours, I have more energy to exercise. When I exercise, I want to not eat like a child. I want to eat like an adult. And I don't want to ruin my workout. And I have more energy to do more things. For other people, it might be, I need to exercise and I go for an hour walk. When I walk every day, I sleep better. Mm. Oh, and now that I'm walking and sleeping better, I wanna take better care of myself and I mentally feel better. Uh, it, uh, right? I, start, I started a diet today. I, I feel better about, I feel lighter. I'm starting to fast. I have more energy. Ooh, I should probably start working out because that will increase my gains more. So there's no right answer how you start. It just matters that you start and you get the snowball rolling down the hill. And I will say, right, there's, I, I have these, there's movement as medicine, there's food as thy medicine, there's mindset as thy medicine, and then there's medicine as thy medicine. Mm. If I had, I'll never forget, I had this guy, Josh, I won't use any more of his name, but his name is Josh. He mentally had a, tons of anxiety mm -hmm. and the gym was the number one place to make his anxiety worse. He got on a new anxiety medication. Mm -hmm. He lost 30 pounds. His resting heart rate went from 90 to 70. Ooh. And he exercised almost every day. 
because he went on a new anxiety medication, not because I gave him, I gave him a nutrition plan or I gave him a great workout or I gave him a pep talk and told him he could do it. He, he took a new medication that changed his life. Mm -hmm. So there's also the medical piece of this that could completely like you go, someone goes and sees a psychologist for eight weeks. All of a sudden you see the psychologist, you're starting to feel better about yourself. You, the psychologist tells you to go for a walk and get some exercise. You start exercise, you can start eating better. Like there's so many different little things that can create that snowball. And I just always want to include medicine because every there's a big subset of people that just think that you can just exercise or eat better and you're going to cure everything. And it's not true. Like sometimes the answer is medicine. If you need a new hip, go get a new hip because you'll move more <laughs> and you'll move better and you'll be happier to go get moving. Yeah. Um, so like there's this other caveat to that as well, but the goal snowball has helped a lot of my clients understand that like, it only takes one little thing for a couple weeks to get everything going. And there's no right answer to where you start. I like that so much. Congratulations. I'm going to use that. I will cite both of you. Let's get into our Q&A. Michael, you have a question. I'm going to read that. Are there certain exercises in different buckets that map well? Like I bike, should I Pilates over dance? Or is it just pick anything just diversify the buckets. Mm. Brendan, talk to us. <sighs> long answer, or oh, sorry, not long answer. Short answer, short yeah. answer is just get in 30 minutes a day, pick something from each bucket. The long answer is yes, it does kind of matter. Uh, so for example, if you only swim or if you do swim and bike, say and you do maybe martial arts right swim bike martial arts there's not a lot of external load there and swimming and biking have no ground contact which is good and bad um if you want to be able to absorb the ground with power and strength you're going to have to do things that involve absorbing the ground with power and strength, which is lifting weights, running fast and jumping, which biking and swimming and martial arts maybe a little bit, but biking and swimming definitely don't have any of that. And we know that biking is mostly legs. So say you just only biked and then you only did dance and then you only did body weight squats. Like we would know that you're not getting enough of your core and your upper body. So you short answer is just do something for every each bucket, 30 minutes a day, and you're going to get mostly everything. But there are circumstances, rarely, but there are circumstances where people will do either way too much leg stuff, they'll do way too much upper body stuff, or they'll do way too much... Um, non-contact stuff like they're they're trying to avoid anything that involves uh gravity actually if you think about it swimming and biking are avoiding gravity um and gravity us avoiding gravity is what keeps us walking upright and keeps us strong and healthy and power and strength training is actually our ability 
to overcome gravity. So that would be the only circumstance really is if they're just trying to limit themselves to things that are non-impact, you need to have a little bit of impact because that's, I mean, the only reason to keep muscles around are to absorb forces. So that would be the only really caveat. For the most part, if you do something from each of these, you're going to get upper and lower body and most people will be okay. I like it. So, Brendan, mm-hmm. any closing thoughts you'd like to have? Any conclusions you've made? And then just tell us where everyone can find you just so that they can make sure that they're getting all your information on yeah. the right. So closing statements. Well, the one thing I want to address was the power thing uh, yeah. that we had talked about earlier was uh, when people come in and they, they think power, they think of jumping onto something or jumping over something. Most people that you work with, most athletes that you work with, anything faster than walking is power or plyometric. So if you do a ladder drill for most people, going one, two step, one, two step side to side or jumping scissors or jump roping is dynamic enough to be considered power work for 95% of the people that you work with. Mm. Um, So we need to stop thinking of power as in like, oh, you need to jump this box or, oh, you need to be able to jump this high or you need to jump over this hurdle. For people who are over the age of 65, again, remember falling is the number one way to die, that doing ladder drills is plyometric for those people. And that is the number one way to avoid falling. They're, They're practicing to not slip. They're practicing to not fall and they're keeping their muscle tissues resilience. Um, so that was like the one thing I wanted to add. That was like the little thing I put in the chat box. Uh, if anyone wants to get a hold of me, I actually have this last slide that I'll come to. Uh, you can find me at brendanrerick at gmail.com. I will say my name has an E and an O. There are no A's in my name. A lot of people put put Brandon, which is fine. I get it. But uh, you will not be able to reach me or find me anywhere if you put an A in my name. Uh, at Coach Brendan Rierick is my Instagram handle. I also have my Movement as Medicine account. So that's at Movement as Medicine. That has probably the most educational stuff. Uh, certified functional strength coach, like you mentioned, Steve. Uh, and then Exercise Checklist is the product that I recently put out, which has a lot of those standards that I spoke about. If anyone should be interested in delving deeper into standards and checklists and the difference between fitness and performance, um, you could go to that product. So, uh, and I just appreciate you having me on, man. It's fun to just chat and talk through these things and know that there's other people out there who think like us. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's nice to get a really good nerd out. It's even better to do a nerd out in front of a bunch of people so that they can benefit. We hope everybody enjoyed this. Thank you so much for coming to Five Questions with Integrated Health Sciences. We'll see you soon and be healthy, people. Thanks, Steve.